Welcome to the Legendary Upside Podcast. My name is Pat Rain. You can find all of my content at legendaryupside.com. Some of that content this summer, a big piece of that content, was best ball rankings uh, that I had out the very first day of Best Ball Mania and uh, for DraftKings as well, and they were updated daily. Uh, I was able to do that with the help of Kyle Dvorak and Daniel Raz, who formed the three-man uh, Best Ball Rankings team for Legendary Upside this summer. Guys, how's it going? It's good. I feel like I, I'm, you know, we talked about this before the show. Where we're at right now is just fun to evaluate our process. It is very clearly not indicative of how successful we're going to be. And in the end, there's almost no way I, any three of us will be successful because that is just the nature of the game. You hope to be successful once in a lifetime, as Pat Crane has already been, for a tournament like Best Ball Mania, and that's it. But with that caveat being said, that the results are not in, and even if we nail the results, the actual bank account may not make a difference. We could get to the finals, get last place, and say my expected value is nuts, and I lost. I feel like we did a pretty good job. I'm having it so far in advance right <laughs> year, like a pretty solid year. So I don't know. This will be mostly fun to look back at. And even the L's are like, we have some pretty funny L's in here. We do have some funny L's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, life's pretty good. Kyle Pitts caught a pass on Sunday, so a lot to celebrate. There you go. Yeah. Um, and I guess I should say, like, generally, um, from my perspective, like, I'm more of a, like, build for the playoffs kind of thing. Like, you know, build teams that are structured to be able to take down week 17 um, that are built to peak in the playoffs, targeting rookies, targeting young players, kind of fading older players, not indiscriminately, but if a player has shown signs of decline and is older, like I am very unlikely to be in. Um, And, you know, older, I think maybe can also mean younger than some people might think. Like I I thought Cook was, Dalvin Cook was like washed when, because he was terrible in a bunch of metrics and um, entering a season in in which he was washed. (laughs) I mean, let's be clear. So we'll, we'll get to that one. But, you know, there's stuff like that where like, I'm going to – I think these rankings are kind of generally going to be tilted in that direction. Um, and then that's also going to create some misses as well. But I think in some of this stuff, like having like an archetype that you're going to be a little bit higher or lower on will lead to some hits and misses, but I think can generally be good because um, we're never going to be 100% perfect. So you're trying to kind of capture those guys with the right ranges of outcomes. But that's – you know, philosophically, I think that's one point to note. And these guys were generally with me, although occasionally trying to talk some sense, some market-based sense into me. That one other thing is that these rankings were um, built with the with the market in uh, baked into the rankings. So the um, the underdog ADP is pretty good, and so that was actually ref- like reflected in the rankings to where a player basically couldn't fall um, too much lower than, you know, there was a threshold at which the player wouldn't be able to fall below or rise above. And kind of in between that, the rankings would kind of help push players market based, you know, um, they would kind of help reorganize players in those ranges uh, to reflect the fact that there is a wisdom of the crowds element of this underdog ADP is sharp. And also, I think getting ADP value is important. So you, you don't want to just be out there drafting the best plays and throwing away EV 
because you're you're never letting a guy fall to you at a really good discount. Um, that became difficult as you know a player like Brees Hall was was sliding in drafts, and like I personally never really got him in the fifth round because he never got past me in the fourth. Um, but that is an important element of these ranking of the ranking process as well. Um, and I think just generally drafting as well. You you don't want to just throw ADP out. Um, all right, but let's go ahead and just kind of go through. So I figured we'd go through our rankings um, from the summer. And we we have up on the site the final iteration of the rankings. But those reflect some injuries like to Cooper Cup and to Travis Kelsey and the Jonathan Taylor is going to be on Pup News. What I'd like us to do is kind of reflect on those, but also just like generally where we were at. Um, over the course of the off season and, you know, get, get a sense of how we feel about, about some of those important rankings. But um, just to kind of go through it, we were Justin Jefferson, uh, Jamar Chase, Christian McCaffrey, Tyree Kill, Austin Eckler was, so this is, this is the, the final iteration and we are just completely in line with ADP to close Bijan Robinson, Stefan Diggs, AJ Brown, CD lamb, Devonte Adams, Garrett Wilson, and Amon Ross St. Brown closing out the first round. What I would throw out there is we were basically a, like lower and I think sometimes substantially lower on Austin Eckler throughout the process. Um, I think we were a little bit ahead on Bijan Robinson. We had AJ Brown over Stefan Diggs for most of the summer. At the very end, we flipped that. We were higher on Cooper Cup really throughout most of the summer. Um, obviously, he's not in the first round here because of the injury. Um, but we should probably talk about him here because he was one of the, you know, he was like a clear kind of, I think we had him third for much of the summer. So um, definitely need to touch on that. And then anything else you guys had going on? Daniel, how did you feel about our first round? I felt pretty good. Obviously, when we had the triumvirate of Cooper Cup, Tyree Kill, and Christian McCaffrey, if you want to be overweight on one, you can't be overweight on another. So a lot of us, we wanted to be overweight Cup. I personally really want to be overweight Hill, and we generally felt the depressed ADP environment for running backs made it favorable to target guys later at depressed prices like J.K. Dobbins, sadly, but then also wins like Travis Etienne and Brees Hall. So that lended it, I assume, to most drafters having overweight stances on Cup and Hill prior to Cup's injury, but underweight stances on McCaffrey. Yeah, I will say... Uh... The greatest fantasy running back of all time was sitting there at three a lot of times, and we didn't take much of him. I, myself, I even, you know, our rankings reflect sort of Pat Corrine's beliefs, and then me and, and me and Daniel try and reel him in and influence him. Uh, <laughs> that I, is I, essentially the process. Yeah, I mean, like, to be fair, like, it's not, it's not my site. I'm here to, like, help and try and talk to you, and I enjoy what I'm doing, but, like, it's your site, and we're just sort of a checks and balances system for you. <laughs> And, uh, no, my point being and is that, uh, checks and balances system though, I feel like you guys got me on and off some good stuff. Uh, but at no point in my checks and balances, did I ever consider having you rank McCaffrey one or two? It, I'm the point I'm making is that as much as I make, I'm making fun of us for the McCaffrey ranking, which is fine because especially in the triumvirate, if you ended up getting to Hill, he's on pace to just annihilate the receiving yards record. You're going to be fine there. It's weirdly the spot that we never thought about taking him was like one, two, where one, Justin Jefferson, fine. I think you just run bad there. Two, Chase, like, I think I'm, I'm going to say like, you probably should have just been taking McCaffrey regardless. Yeah, like, oh, we, yeah. 
Oh, the Joe Burrow injury. Like, sure, I get it. Or it Hill, have been frankly. Better. Yeah, you could have been. Or Cup. Well there. Or honestly, Cup. Like, and Cup, like another that, one like Chase. Bad run out. If things ran out better, just health wise, nothing else, you should have been taking Cup there too. Like, yeah, Chase Cup, be Cup I think actually. Yeah. yeah. What I think is, what do you guys think of the, so the McCaffrey thing, it's funny because the way I drafted in the, like, I have a pretty solid amount of cat McCaffrey on underdog. I don't have really very much on DraftKings, which is That's maybe why I'm spurned by this so much. I drafted a lot more on DraftKings. Yeah. So I wonder if people have a similar experience that use the rankings because, and I think one of the things that's, sort of extra tough about like I did um you know some of the higher stakes stuff on DraftKings and I was extra worried there about not being able to get wide receivers later. And so I think I even broke ties more against um against McCaffrey, which hurts more because you know he's even better in PPR. But um I do want like I think that this could be one of those things where in a vacuum we just all should have had more McCaffrey, full stop. But in in the macro landscape, because there were two questions, like who do you want to prioritize between these three players? And I think we missed there for sure. Um, and maybe let's expect if we expand it to who do you want to prioritize between these five players? Because Chase really shouldn't have been totally untouchable. Then we definitely missed the macro environment question. I feel like we didn't fully miss on because the wide receivers that we felt like we're getting pushed up do feel like they were, they got pushed up. Like the, those wide receivers that were like, man, really we're taking this guy here. Like largely that feels those misgivings feel that they were proven out. And there were some major running back values available. And I think uh, Daniel, I'm glad you mentioned Dobbins. Cause I think he kind of, we'll never really know for sure, but he feels like but we, but after we watching Gus Edwards just smash. Yeah, we yeah. kind of know that he was one of those guys too. So they're really like structurally ways to recover from missing on McCaffrey, but also wish we had McCaffrey higher. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder, especially though, if like the relative value of like the gap of McCaffrey to RB2 could be one of the highest like one, two gaps we'll ever see. And uh, I, I, although I do agree that like you could have just gotten, we were, we started to get really high on Travis Etienne. I think Daniel, that's a credit to you is like in the middle of the summer, maybe it's even like kind of two thirds of the way through the summer. We're like, oh yeah, we have him one spot ahead of ADP or one below, whatever. Like when we flipped guys around, he was there and was like, you know, he could like easily lead the league in rushing yards and like rushing touchdowns. Yeah. And we're like, that's a pretty good point. Let's move him up. And then Ken Walker was sort of a similar thing where we, you know, would have him around ADP, but like, it was very easy to see the, the Supreme talent. So there were some very obvious hits that did not need to come in the first round. The first like three rounds really the first three rounds suck for running backs like the quote hits are like josh jacobs staying healthy and get all the touches and doing nothing with it and tony pollard staying healthy getting all the touches and doing nothing with it so uh yeah there were easy ways to get the rb like two through 12 performances uh you know year to date after eight weeks minus monday night football but i do think mccaffrey is going to provide like such a massive relative advantage the only only player who is going to rival that will probably be tyree kill I'd imagine because he's, I mean, he's literally on pace for like 17 touchdowns and 2,200 receiving yards. Yeah. Uh, but the gap between McCaffrey and whoever finishes as the RB2 is almost certainly going to just absolutely destroy. So I think from that macro angle, it is still like, 
Yeah, the the I think he has the second most fantasy points ever in a season in half PPR behind like only the Ladanian Tomlinson 27 point season. And then his season where he only played a few games was another one of the greatest seasons ever. Like so very obvious that he like he fits the legendary upside bill, but like he fits it yeah. to a degree that literally by his greatest season, one other running back has ever fit in a cohort of maybe five running backs in NFL history have ever hit. And he's doing it this year, obviously. So yeah, the legendary upside thing, because when I I had that set up for myself to do, like I had done kind of the legwork, like some of the stuff on paper. And McCaffrey this year, because of age, really, I think, didn't like fully, like he didn't like pop pop the way he normally does. Mm-hmm. Like in years past, it's just been so obvious on paper. Like, yeah, McCaffrey's like the clearly the guy. But that wasn't like quite as much the case. I think, you know, also partly like a little bit of a reduced role in San Francisco and stuff. Um, but when I actually wrote it up, I was like, this is pretty obvious. Like, this, I feel like this I remember dude... listening. I listened to the legendary upside article while I was traveling. And I feel like I remember you saying like, he kind of just base projects for a legendary season. Like his median projection is very close. Yeah. yeah and I was like, you know, it's kind of nuts that we took like a Mount Rushmore fantasy running back, like at, at three all year. Like, you know, yeah. that seems, that's probably going to like in the legendary scenario. I was like, that will seem insane. And it already <laughs> does seem insane. So, um, Maybe, maybe I just need to write that article earlier because when I actually like dove into it and like thought through what does the legendary season look like, I was like, I didn't have to think that hard. Yeah. I, was, I wasn't much thinking. So, um, yeah, I think probably we should have just um, we shouldn't have made a stance there with a player that talented. Not that we t- I don't think we took like a massive stance against. McCaffrey no, no, it's just but. tough because say you do 30 drafts. Or I did more than 30. Yes. Say you do 30 drafts on average, you're getting like three three picks out of that group in the top yeah. three you even with 30 drafts you may come away with zero McCaffrey I remember at one point during the summer I was like really trying to get my DraftKings drafts done and I like got the two and the three like four times in a row and I was like ah who needs McCaffrey I'm gonna take another chase team I'm gonna try and load up on chase and like week three I I looked back on this moment I'm like what have I done to myself not that chase is like an absolute bombing or anything <laughs> it's just at that point you actually might have been but like you said He's a Mountain Rushmore fantasy back of all time. Probably could have used to take more. Uh, Daniel, I don't know. I saw someone on Twitter post this. I don't know. It might have been you, Daniel. Uh, just like weighted randomness for taking players. That would have been the ideal way to take the top six picks. Uh, like they're all extremely similar because we now we're talking about it. Like they're a cohort of six guys who any one of them, Justin Jefferson, Tyree Kill, Cooper Cup, could literally lead the league and set the record in receiving yards. And McCaffrey is, is Mount Rushmore fantasy back. Just like complete RNG. I have a one out of six pick no matter where I take those guys. And maybe you could lump Kelsey in there because he's crushing as well. I actually had almost zero CMC. I was, and I feel good on my process. You could show me CMC season. I'm like, yeah, I think my process had this baked in as a ceiling outcome. I wanted more Tyreek Hill. I wanted Cooper Cup prior to the injury. I also, the one regret, I drew a lot of the second pick. So I had 15% Jamar Chase. Maybe push push a little bit off that. And the Wade Ram- randomness point, I think Hilo made that point, so I want to give credit to him. Okay, that's but what it was. Sorry. I, and this will probably bring us into the conversation about the running backs later in the drafts. I felt really good about some of these young backs. We missed on some. Jonathan Taylor misread that situation, thought John- Jim Mersey wasn't as fixated with helping Wales and more fixated on either signing <laughs> or trading his top star young running back. But I mean, the J.K. Dobbins situation was absolutely perfect, and you were getting him at the 6-7 turn. I think the 2-for-2 two two wouldn't seem that crazy with 
J.K. Dobbins, 6-7 turn, when you could Travis Etienne, 4-5 turn, when you could Brees Hall, 4-5 turn, when you could Ken Walker, 4-5 turn. And I wish we were more aggressive on Walker in the yeah. young running back offense we want to believe in and thinking more about what he could do if he takes one step in the pass game or the rest of his role stays the same rather than, oh, we think he can't catch passes and trying to be more open-minded to those situations. Let's go to – let's talk through the kind of next group of running backs. Eckler leads that um, in the rankings, but for a long time didn't. We had the contract issue with Eckler. Um, we had, you know, the potential for them to bring in someone else for kind of the early offseason. And then I had some concerns, a little, you know, about his, um, his role in 2022 being really driven by a, a lot of injuries, uh, them being healthier at the time. And also he's an, he is an older back. Like he's, I believe almost 28 now. Um, and so it was a little bit, it's a little bit tougher for me to, to get there, you know, with that kind of early first round value. And so we kind of lagged behind for most of the summer. Uh, it's a little hard to know if that was like a, a big mistake, given that he, you know, has been dealing with injury. Um, you know, it's taken a while to kind of recover and come back and, and be pretty productive. But it's not like I would say Eckler does not look like he's done. So, you know, from that perspective and not that we thought he was definitely done, but there's like there's risk factors when you get older, when you're when you're drafting an older running back. He's certainly not had the best season so far, but on the other hand, he is kind of someone that you probably would like to have going forward. How do you guys feel about the process on Eckler? I feel process wise, I feel fine. You pointed out that, uh, I mean, you pointed out to us during the summer that like his rushing efficiency numbers were pretty poor last year. He was getting there on touchdowns and receiving work. And like, I, I accept that he can do that again. Whereas McCaffrey, I'm like, oh man, he's like one of the best fantasy backs of all time. I actually do feel bad about, I had the exact same situation where I was drawn the two hole, like, like you wouldn't believe and just felt like the luckiest man alive getting all of the chase teams. And I just kept taking him. I, I don't really, if I had drawn like what, seven or eight whatever pick you needed to get Eckler and had full faded him like I wouldn't feel too bad because I feel like the process was very uh like very like the risk is high here not just like oh running backs busted a higher rate but specifically because he got so good on touchdowns these past like two years and so much of his work came through the air because they lost all of their receivers that it, it wasn't the oh the baseline projects for this guy to almost have a legendary season it's easy to see how he gets there. He's done it for like two years now or close to it at least, but it wasn't as ironclad as McCaffrey. And when that's not the case, I'd prefer to be going AJ Brown, Travis Kelsey, even Stefan Diggs, or at least, you know, splitting between him and Diggs. So I, I feel, yeah, he's like you said, Pat, I probably wish at today that I had, you know, 20% Eckler, but I'm, I'm fine with where I went. Like, I think he looks like he's going to, I mean, he crushed yesterday. So I think he's going to be, end up being a good pick, but process wise, I feel like we pointed out all the right things that made him fragile. I don't have a problem with where we had him. Yeah, I agree on that. I think I'm sitting around 8% Eckler. I think if you use the rank, you'd probably be slightly underweight Eckler and the base would be 8.3%. I don't think that's a bad place to be, especially when he was often going near AJ Brown and Steph Diggs. Or having pretty yeah, decent seasons. Yeah. AJ Brown, you're thrilled if you have any overweight position on him. And the ranks pointed you in that direction the whole year. Yeah, at the very end, we were not um, AJ Brown over Stephon Diggs. But for the vast majority of the offseason, we were. Um, one of the reasons for that, so Open Score was just released last 
week. And AJ Brown was an absolute star in ESPN's open score the last few years. He is again this year. Um, and Devontae Smith was not. Now, he wasn't like terrible, but he was like kind of whatever. Um, he was also like, if you look at the first read targets last year, um, AJ Brown had a, had a much better rate there and has generally been someone that, that sees um, a higher share of first read targets, which to some extent reflect play calling. Um, Devonta Smith was kind of mediocre there. AJ Brown was, was elite there last year. So I kind of, now we were not low on Devonte Smith because we were high on that offense. And I think he is a talented player, but I do think we generally took the position that AJ Brown is the number one in this offense. And it's not a one, a one B. I wish we had taken that position more relative to Devonte Smith. Cause we were well, right, I do on, too, we were right on AJ Brown. And you know, you yeah. look at, like you said, his open score, his first read targets, even his yards per route run. He's got like, uh, just a tier below Julio Jones level of like elite seasons back to back to back to back of yards per route run. So feel great about that in that he is like just very clearly, he's very clearly, I think one of the five most talented receivers in the NFL. I think yeah. if he played for the Dolphins, if he played, if he played for the Rams who are passing in such a high clip, it could be, he could be a cup. He could be, he could be a Tyree kill. He wouldn't produce in the same way Tyree kill does, but he could put up those types of numbers. So I yeah. feel great betting about that, uh, betting on that talent and then being vindicated pretty immediately because he looks great. I talked about philosophy earlier and I think maybe talked around things a little bit where like generally I think we are trying to, um, we are trying to rank players as much as it makes sense to based on their talent. We're trying to let the talent shine through here, not be so situation focused although situation obviously has a big impact but to the extent we can be like this play like who's projects more or who you know who's better i think it's like an underrated position where they have so much even at running back like i feel like we did some really good stuff with at that running back but there is to some degree like only so much a running back's talent can push through a receiver's talent and tight end to a degree can really shine through and you know, I think we did a really pretty solid job at that. A receiver yeah. can take over an offense like like we saw with Devontae Smith, right? Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, there's a pecking order there. If there's a pecking order at the running back position, it can remain in place for a long time because one player leaves the field for the other to come on. At wide receiver, both players are on the field the entire time. And so the pecking order, I think, can get shifted much more quickly because – the other, you know, the more talented receiver is more talented and is able to earn the targets and is able to execute on plays that are called, you know, where the quarterback's looking at his side of the field first. You know, that's it's like all of a sudden things can start to look very different. It's also just more of a highly volatile position. So what we think we know about, you know, target shares and stuff isn't always even true. Um, yeah, so I think with A.J. Brown, pretty good. That was one of our better, like, this guy. We're just, like, betting on the talent here. We're going to break ties between him and Diggs. Not that, I mean, Diggs is very talented in his own right, but Adrian Brown really does. I, I, Kyle, I, like, I strongly believe that if he was in, like, a pass-heavy offense, we'd be taking him, you know, with one of the top picks in the draft. Like, he, he's, like, he's insanely good at he's playing so good. wide receiver. Like, it's always been... 
you know, oh, he's not in the right offense. You know, he's not, oh, there's not enough targets for, for him or whatever. And he's just like, yeah, there are now because I'm going to make the enough targets for me. I'm going to have this one of these old school mid 2000s target shares, but which obviously, you know, is kind of um, an unlikely outcome in some ways. But I also think that guys this talented kind of make things happen. Yeah, it's it's more likely to have, you're more likely to like, we're like, oh, well, how is he going to get a 30 plus percent target share when Devon Smith's out there? It's because he's that good. And of course, a 30 plus percent, 35% target share, a ton of the team's air yards, like 40%, isn't the most likely outcomes you pointed out. But we can shift the ranges of outcomes when we know a guy is this good. So, Yeah, I think that was a great point. There's a lot of input volatility on team pass attempts and other things of that nature, but those are dictated by talent. And you look at the three of us, we clearly just watch 20, 40 hours of football a week. We're basically NFL scouts. We can identify the best players much more easily than we can project the input. So when you give opportunities at wide receiver with proven studs like AJ Brown, you can take them. And this year, the market even let you do that at running back with young dynamic players where the market priced in negatively talent issues that we were confident wouldn't be there on ascending players that you're able yeah. to capitalize yeah. on. Yeah. I think the market overall, I think we did, this didn't work out in every cases we'll get to, but I think in a lot of cases, betting on talent this year was a huge edge and something that the market may have moved away from a little bit compared to past years. Um, and, you know, I think that when you're talking about a game that lasts an entire NFL season and all the money is paid out in the final, you know, second to last week of the regular season of the NFL year, then talent is is something we want to be paying attention to more. So I think like compared to traditional fantasy, this best ball game, this, this best ball tournament game we're playing, we should be emphasizing talent more and probably a lot more. And this year it felt like there were really big opportunities. AJ Brown, I wouldn't even say was like one of the biggest. Yeah, um, we, we were a spot and a half ahead of ADP or whatever. Yeah, we were spot and a half ADP. Got him more, but yeah. He was general, but it was one of those prices that I think did make some people kind of queasy because of the projection-based element mm-hmm. of it, which which like I admit was a little bit of a leap, but it was just like this guy's so good. What are we not? We're not gonna take this guy who's incredible for an entire NFL season in you know, a, a format that rewards spike weeks and end of season production. So, um, yeah, I'm glad we, I'm glad we had him where we did. Demonte Adams is probably another guy who we could talk about as like, a. um, <laughs> my, my headphones just died. Um, Demonte Adams is a guy we could talk about as like a talent based play in a sense where he's like one of these older dudes that we stuck with. Um, Kyle, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, I think we were generally in the right ballpark, though I will say, like, especially in recent weeks, his, uh, his target has been kind of taking a little bit of a hit with yeah. Jacoby Myers, who we were we were good on Jacoby Myers, too. But I do think, I mean, it just depends how you split it. If we had flipped the first four weeks and the second four weeks of the season, uh, Devontae Adams would look like a smash. And right now I'm a little bit uncertain. And like his first read targets are taking a dip as of recently, which is curious. But it, it's it's sequencing to some degree. Maybe it's a pattern, but maybe it's our pattern seeking brains. I still feel pretty good about it. I think even after the recent dip in target share, he's still like, you know, sixth in target share and like seventh in air yard share. And those are the guys we should really be taking big swings on. I do I do agree that like the age is somewhat of a concern, but it, at some point, especially with a player who has been so good, like if a guy has been solid throughout his career and we don't have any signs of decline, even at 28 or 29, I'm still like, it's probably coming for him. But with a guy who's been 
a, one of the best receivers of my lifetime in the 10 best receivers of my lifetime, 15. If you really don't like Devonte Adams, I need to see it. I need to see that he is declining before I have any belief in it. It's sort of the same way with Travis Kelsey. Like, Oh, but what about his like air yards? They're going slightly down. Or what about his, his preseason snaps? They played him like, like, no, he has to show me that he's declining because he's that good. We took that position with Adams. And I feel pretty good about it. I, you know, he's maybe not going to be a smash the way AJ Brown is, but I think that's another good process play. Let's move to the back of the second rounds where I feel like we, well, I should know. Do you guys feel like we got bailed out with Chubb? Cause Chubb seemed like he was going to be a pretty good pick. But then also this Watson stuff, maybe Watson. I, no, Deshaun Watson was terrible. I feel yeah. he had one good game so far this year. It was against the Titans. Every other game has been bad to really bad. I That was a ton of what I was baking in is that like the floor risk for the offense is 32nd in the NFL. Uh, Chubb, yeah, was definitely going to be good. And I think we got bailed out a little bit and that he was going to catch passes. And not that he we right. never believed he had a chance to catch passes, but it was something where we talked about like he's never done it his entire career. Do we think he can do it this year? Can, yes, will. I'm a little less confident in the will part. He wasn't going to do it enough for a legendary season. I think that was clear, but he also just looked so good. Yeah. You're like, yeah. Uh, wish but like, was he going to score 20 touchdowns on this version of the Browns offense? I don't, I personally don't think so. I, I think yeah. it was going to be unlikely given how bad the Browns have looked. Uh, obviously, like, I'm not even, not even including the PJ Walker or Dorian Thompson Robinson games. Watson himself looked really bad outside of the Titans game. So, I don't feel too bad about it, though. I do think we could have done a better job seeing like, oh, this is a guy who's a supreme talent that everyone loves. He's going to rise from May to that's what August. that's I think that would be the miss. Yes. But the end of season rank, I didn't draft him once at the end of the season. We I weren't high enough on him. Yeah. In the, in the late second round when he was there, we weren't high enough on him for sure. And I think yeah. in general, Daniel, I think you had a good, really good sense on kind of the market and where we should be ahead of guys for closing line value purposes but that was one we didn't we just weren't aggressive enough i think early on knowing it's like nick chubb he always rises yeah i think we had a good job together outlining what nick chubb's true range of outcomes was and he probably was going to hit somewhere in the 60 to 80th percentile but that's probably a closer to a silent killer scenario than something that you had to mm -hmm. have but mm -hmm. we also should have thought about that range of outcomes i thought how will this generally be perceived and that's not a player with an adp of 20 to 24 that's more of like 12 to 16 whereas i think a true adp in the mid-second was perfectly fine in terms of just at the end of the season but if you want to get in wish we had a little earlier yeah process wise i mean obviously you don't want nick chubb on teams but process wise um i think we definitely should have done that let's so as we talk about the second round which just was not very good um yeah, no. the second round was just bad this year uh i think we did a couple things. One is that we kind of put Mark Andrews like on the second round bubble, the whole, like the whole off season. We basically had him right around the two, three or sorry, the, yeah, the two, three turn. Um, he, he ends here at 23 way ahead of ADP. Um, that I think is a pretty big win. Um, although so far, you know, he, it is a bit touchdown driven at the moment. Um, it's not like the smashes smashiest smash ever, but it's, yeah, I think it, what else were you supposed to do? I think yeah, it's, it's like, it's hey, like, take oh, Mark Andrews good. is pretty yeah, good. Yeah, it's been yeah, good it's for been... Andrews. Like, I, I wish it could be better. I'd love a few hundred, like, 20-yard games. But like you said, you don't need the, the smashiest of smashes from Andrews. This range, it's it's quarterback or Mark Andrews, according to us, which was right, or bust, man. Like, the, the number two receivers in this range are just not good. 
and, and neither uh, are the so running backs. Neither, neither are the running backs. backs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neither are the running backs either. Yeah, I guess they're... to me that's not awfully surprising. Well, very dead zoney. Uh, but it's. I, I thought the receivers would be better. I'm not shocked that the running backs who are classic like in the dead zone. I think they're. I thought they were better. Like I thought Tony Pollard was better. I thought early of the season Nick Chubb deserved to be like ranked better. But uh, yeah, just everyone sucks here. So Mark Andrews feels like a, a oasis. We did have Tony Pollard here, um, you know, back when he was a little bit less uh, expensive at the end of the summer. He kind of got pulled up the board. We also had Brees Hall in this general range um, earlier um, before the Dalvin Cook signing and his ADP tanked. So in some ways, like that was in your early drafts, you'd be like, all right, that's that's cool. Um, Yeah. But on that, I think. Oh, good. Yeah. I quickly remember early drafts having Brees Hall and Ken Walker at the two, three turn, then midsummer seeing four or five turn both. I'm like, Oh, the CLV and these teams are dead. And now if you gave me the opportunity, it's like Brees Hall and Ken Walker at the two, three turn, I'm doing it once every day and twice on Sundays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good point. I think the quarterback thing, we were always, a we were probably on the more skeptical side of these quarterbacks going in the second round. Um, they close with all three of them. Uh, outside of the second round, which is behind ADP. Uh, I think we were, no, I guess we had them Mahomes, Hurts, Allen, and maybe we had them that way all summer. I, I remember personally feeling like the least nervous about Hurts, but. Um, I was going to say, I thought we had Mahomes not as the first one at some point. I think you we know, we're talking about the most that, minor yeah. of you know, flippings of these guys. Yeah. Deal, but I feel like we I had think, him second at some point. I think ADP adjusted. We decided to let the market put Mahomes first because the market yes. was so sure Mahomes was QB one. Whereas we said these three that's are right. I think that's right. similar probability bets enough that if you can get Mahomes later than ADP, it's fine to take him. You shouldn't be taking him at ADP. Whereas Hertz and Allen, we were less frowning upon taking at ADP. And that's right. they're probably going to come out as wins because everyone around them is such a big loss. So, you know, you have a comparative advantage taking the least bad option. Yeah. And I also think they're going to come out as wins because Anthony Richardson got hurt. Kirk Cousins just tore his Achilles. Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles. Like all these, these Justin quarterbacks Fields hurt. Like Justin Fields hurt. Be, uh, more mid round smash. Yeah. Desmond Ritter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some of you like drafted some Desmond Ritter. <laughs> yes. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo hurt. <laughs> yeah. I think some of the, the upside that really was there in the in the late rounds, and maybe Aaron Rodgers wouldn't have wouldn't, I mean he didn't he played like one snap, so who knows? But but certainly cousins and um also we, we weren't that high on Rodgers, but a huge injury in that range. Um Richardson, we were quite quite high on, and cousins. Uh, I think we were about even with, and both those guys, I think just like the macro kind of picture of the quarterback position is really impacted by those injuries because like, how do you catch the guy who has hurts? It's like, well, you catch him with probably hitting on Andrews, right. Or hitting on one of those running backs early in the, in the off season, or maybe one of these wide receivers comes to life a little bit. Um, and then you can tackle on similar quarterback production later that you got much cheaper. And that 2v2 ends up working out for you. But those 2v2s are injury decimated. And then also this group of skill players has generally not delivered. So I think I kind of feel like, you, you know, it's tough because it's like 
that is sort of maybe the thesis of the play if you were drafting a bunch of quarterbacks earlier. Like, I don't love these skill position players, presumably, and I'm not that afraid of the late quarterbacks. Um, I think that second part is the tough thing because those late quarterbacks, I think, were pretty good. Like, not the late, but like the quarterbacks going in, you know, two of Richardson Cousins feels like it Dak, could have been Dak a just put up a monster back. score. Yeah. 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 Maybe Gino. Um, maybe Gino. Yeah, but that general group, I think like yeah. that general group was much stronger this year than it was in 2022. Um, and there's versions of this season where we're like just Richardson, just take Richardson. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know, that we don't live in that one. So that that's gonna be tough because I think ultimately if you're drafting off these ranks, you're gonna have lighter uh, positions on the elite quarterbacks. And I think ultimately you'll have wanted to have those guys. Now I personally was mixing them in sometimes in the second round. Um, I don't think we were like so low on these guys that you wouldn't have them, but certainly I would say if you were just like drafting off these ranks all summer, you're underweight, the elite quarterbacks. And I, it's one of those ones where I don't feel like we screwed up exactly, but it didn't play out in a way that that's going to end up being a good move probably. Yeah, yeah. I'm fine with how we played it. Cause one, like we, like you said, you were perfectly able to mix them in. Uh, we had Mahomes hurts Allen basically back to back to back in the rankings. We were three spots behind ADP under three spots and under one spot for Josh Allen. So yeah, you, you know, it's, it, Daniel said uh, it's 8.3% is your one out of 12 shot of getting players. Probably getting like six, five, seven, probably yeah. really close to eight for Allen. We're less than one spot uh, relative to ADP. So I don't feel too bad, and I do think the the quarterback spot, as you pointed out, they they hit the parlay, which wasn't a extremely long odds parlay, but they did hit the parlay of any other situation or any other section of quarterback is going to struggle in that like Richardson Cousins range, which felt good, is obviously going to be a huge bust because of those two players. Late round quarterback, there's just not a ton of juice back there, and then the range in which they're going has been terrible, like just truly no hits in this range. So it wasn't like like that's part of the thesis of the play. But they hit their thesis perfectly. I, you know, I don't feel too bad about it, mostly because we still had them as perfectly fine picks. We just like some players in their range better. Uh, I think maybe what we could have done is had a little more conviction in some of our like fades right above them. We had Calvin Ridley just above them, still a little bit behind ADP. But that was one where we were all very skeptical of it. We're like, do we really want to go zero Calvin Ridley from the month of August onward? My guess is if you if you're drafted on the ranks, you don't have much Calvin Ridley because that's one where and I I don't like that this happened to be honest because it's just like it puts people in a tough spot if if we end up being wrong. But we were like always behind the market on Calvin Ridley. There were spot there were times where like man, we should at least get even with the market. You know, we've been behind market all summer, and he does seem to be having a really good training camp. You know the. People are going to continue to get excited. Let's let's get even. We'd get even, and the next day he'd rise by days, three yeah. spots in ADP. And it's like you never could catch up to him. And I think we closed behind. Um, Two yeah, and a half picks behind. behind. Yeah. So we we never got higher really than the than the two three turn. Um, we never chased him into the second round, which I, you know ultimately is good. But um, yeah, it was kind of one of those ones. Like man, I sometimes would take him at the three four turn and be like all right i'll get some mix them in you know but then <laughs> you know that was like i kind of regretted not doing that more obviously when he's going in the two three turn but he was just one where yeah we we had a fate it was a bigger fade actually than i would have preferred but ultimately 
the market got a little carried away there. So I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, I think similar to Nick Chubb, we had it pegged decently well. We just did not get that the market, the market was not in sync with us and it kept moving him up to a point where like, this is crazy. Remember we had the T Higgins conversation. I think it was Kyle, Kyler, one of you said next week, we're going to have to talk about if we want to move this Calvin yeah. ahead of Tito B with the market, why don't we just do it now? And I don't even know what we yep. did because we were really hesitant to move Calvin Ridley with so much uncertainty. I think and I made us do market. it. Yeah, yeah, we and we did didn't. It, it didn't matter. Yeah. It didn't matter because yeah, that he moved up. He moved up far enough ahead of T that it was like, yeah, of course you should have moved him ahead of T. What are you talking about? And yeah, we were still way behind. Oh, that one was kind of funny. One thing I'll note on the quarterback thing is that we were ahead of market on Lamar Jackson all summer, and. um you know, personally, I mixed in some Lamar, some of that Lamar Jackson, Andrews kind of stack to, to try to get some of those guys together at the two, three turn. Um, and, you know, I think by the rankings, we were we closed with him at 30th, but he was going at like the three, four turn or even in the fourth round for a lot of the summer. Yeah. And we basically had him like just a hair behind the top three um, in the in our pure rankings. And. Yeah, I mean, he so that that one I feel good about where you're like, okay, maybe you're light on Mahomes, Hurts, and Allen, but you should be pretty overweight Jackson. So it wasn't like we were just out on elite quarterbacks as a whole. We had kind of mistakenly thought there's a difference between passing on Chris Olave and, you know, Keenan Allen when actually, yeah, there is, but it's not the way we thought. <laughs> um, let's so this the third round. Uh, it was probably like our best round where we didn't, we were high on Lamar. We were hot, really high on Andrews. We were um, oddly low on Ramondre Stevenson for much of the middle of the summer. Um, I don't think that was oddly. I was going to say, I feel like that wasn't that odd, Pat. I feel like you strongly pointed out that like he's good, but guys who are just good in this range, that's what a dead zone guy looks like. And yeah. they had made their intentions very, very, very clear to bring someone in. That's also feels like the hallmark of a dead zone kind of guy. I wouldn't say it was odd. I, I thought you kind of laid out the case of us liking him as a talent, but seeing red flags shooting up into the sky. So I wouldn't say it was odd. I feel like you kind of nailed it almost. <laughs> I well, I no player we handled better than Ramondre in terms of thinking of outside risks, like bringing in Dallas. I don't know. We team. nailed Brees Hall. I feel like we really got that. Yeah, right. Brees Hall is clearly the best one. In a lot of ways. In, in, in a process way. In a process way. In, okay. that, uh, in a process, Brees... not in a market-based way. In a market-based yeah, way, market. you could have gotten cheaper Hall. But, like, also, I, mean, I don't know. I'm mad that say, you didn't. I was going to say in a market-based way, uh, as soon as we started getting the Dalvin Cook rumors, both Daniel and I reined you in to the point of, like, we yeah, you made me pull him talent. Down. But we yeah. were very confident in reading how the Jets were going to play it. And then, so we, I think at some point we ended up getting like behind ADP. So we were like, a signing is so, so, so imminent. We still want to be in on his talent. We're not going to nuke him out of the rankings, but we know we're going to get Cleve here soon. Yeah. There was like a and three day period when Dalvin visited New York where I think we might have been behind ADP. And then I immediately moved him back up. <laughs> Maybe we could have been a little better there, but we generally had the right read on like, oh, the signing is very likely. Let's get ahead of this. As soon as he signs, let's reverse it. Now is the time to buy. And early in the summer, like, of course, you still price in some degree of signing, but we couldn't have known at the time who or what it was going to be. So I think, I don't know, I still feel like process wise, we got pretty close on that one as well in judging the risk of signing, but what that actually means for him, which is to say, 
it's three weeks of production. Who cares that much? And Ramondre, yeah. we had a similar, even more accurate read is what I'd say. Yeah, Ramondre, I said oddly because he's a guy that I've been in on since his rookie season. I've always liked Ramondre as a player, but I always, I you know, we have many Discord chats of us discussing kind of Ramondre versus Brees, and I I strongly felt that Brees is a, a supreme talent and that Ramondre is good. And that when you have the risk factors that Ramondre had, like, you know, Zeke signing there, I thought was bad. And we basically remained behind market on him, I think, throughout the entire rest of the summer. Like, yeah, when it was clear they were going to sign someone, that. I don't think we ever got back to even, which just felt like I never really, I, I don't know. I mean, Zeke, this version of Zeke, Zeke clearly stinks. Like, this is, you know, like, <laughs> he's done nothing to show he doesn't stink, but it's also been a problem um, for Ramondre. And Ramondre is obviously the talent-based uh, argument has has looked a lot weaker that he just doesn't look that good this year but um you know that's always it's always kind of volatile the running back position so i, I do you know i feel good that we were kind of that basically i was putting my foot down on the Brees is so that much better than Ramondre. he's just that much better and so we need to we need to be aggressive on this one player where we can be kind of like a little bit skittish about the risk factors on on kind of a middling to good talent in Ramondre where Brees is like flashing all the signs we look for from an elite young running back. Um, and everything I was reading at the time from the medical community was that this is a clean tear. He'll be a hundred percent, you know, basically by now. Yeah. Oh, you mean right after he got that 50 yard receiving touchdown? That's about when they. Yeah, that's when he's 100%. Yeah. And all of this Breeze talk, uh, I mean, Breeze was probably one of the poster boys of our rankings of someone we were high on throughout the summer, yeah. save yeah. for that moment where we roughly read the market saying, we're going to get some cleave here in a minute with Dalvin Cook. Uh, all of this comes with the context of he's playing with Zach Wilson. Like, we, mm -hmm. this is a, you know, 10th percentile run out for Breeze. And we're still like, uh, like Daniel's like, I took him to two, three turn once. And now I'd kill to have that opportunity back because of how bad the two, three turn was. This is all under the guise of Zach Wilson as his quarterback, which is a horrific. Well, don't think I haven't thought about Aaron Rodgers coming back for the, the end. Of that's the that's true. That's true. <laughs> I don't um, think that hasn't crossed my mind. What, one thing I want to talk about is the Falcons, because we're reaching the point where uh, if we move into the fourth round, we're at Drake London ADP and I mean, we were, I think, very spot on about the talent of the pass catchers. Drake London, like ever since week one where he didn't seem particularly involved, has been just dominating the target share for this team. Kyle Pitts is going to lead the NFL in air yard share for tight ends. He's going to finish top 10 in target share. Uh, doesn't seem to matter all that much, given how terrible this team is. Is this a price it right? Sometimes you don't get there. Or do we think we could have? And I guess you can wrote Bijan in this too. Or did we... Uh, sort of misjudge how bad and how like I don't want to say misrun how misaligned Arthur Smith would be with both fantasy which is understandable they don't need to be aligned in that sense but also scoring points like he definitely seems to be slightly misaligned with scoring points so do you think how do you think we played that Pat I mean this was always like a big part of the range when you yep, take Falcons big part, big part of the range but I think like it's funny because the Bears you know, the Bears are also supposed to be playing like this. And even though they've lost, I mean, you don't feel great right now about having Bears, 
But I don't think you feel that bad. And Justin Fields, you know, like two, two three weeks ago, you felt awesome. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like kind of the injury thing that's really derailed it. Um, and the Bears took a step forward in their play calling. Like very, very clearly they did. Um, where they're not the hyper, hyper run heavy. It almost like takes, it takes like a, it takes a lot of effort, I think, to be that off from the rest of the league. Like it, like regression wants you to come back, you know, like things, things are kind of pulling you in the direction of, no, you're not going to be literally like stretching out pass rate of our expected charts. Um, but Arthur Smith still is, you know, and I, and that maybe we should have been a little bit more um, understanding of like who he is as a poor person. <laughs> and I guess he definitely, uh, you know, I, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that, that, yeah. that he's doing this, but um yeah, I just think like this is one. I think maybe this is one of those ones we talked about the AJ Brown making the talent based bet and it being a big win. This is one of those ones where this was a talent based bet. Drake London is a very good wide receiver. I think we all agree. Like there's there's very few people in the fantasy space who would say Drake London isn't a very good receiver. And Kyle Pitts, obviously much more controversial, but for a tight end, I think is a pretty good receiver. Um, and he, you know, he provides a deep threat element to an NFL offense, which is rare at the tight end position. That's been highly, highly boom bust. We probably weren't factoring in his his uh, knee injury enough because I think that clearly had an early season impact. Um, may continue to have an impact. I don't know. It seems like maybe maybe he's headed in the right direction there. But um, but health aside, I think Pitts is a talented receiver. Maybe he's been overhyped or whatnot. Probably, yeah, but. These were talent-based bets. They're the, probably the type of bets that I do want to continue making in the future. Maybe we should have like a little Arthur Smith cutout, but um, you know, maybe we don't have to worry about that for too much longer. Yeah, yeah. Quickly, when the Falcons win the NFC no, NFC South, you're going to have to deal with oh, Arthur God. Smith for at least one more year. But oh, I thought God. you did a great job bringing up Philadelphia. I think Tampa Bay applies too. When you have players where you're more confident in the talent, and can sort of let the market dictate how they think everything else will play out with Atlanta. I thought the market was too bearish. I want to bet on talent and assuming that I have, I don't think anyone's ability to spot outliers is good enough to justify the extent to which they point out those outliers. So if you let me bet on Arthur Smith, not being the biggest outlier we've seen in years, maybe a decade, I'll make that bet every time. Just so happens that Arthur Smith is that outlier. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. I feel good about the process. I look forward to capitulating for another 10 weeks. Yeah. I needed this little bit of cope. Thanks guys. No, this is, this is good cope. I think, so one guy that we, this maybe was odd and one where we, I don't know. We've even like wanted to be this high on Deandre Hopkins, but we were pretty high on Deandre Hopkins. All, I noticed that season. just looking at, I just noticed that looking at the rankings too. Uh, were we high uh, on him as he was a yeah, we were high on him as a free agent because we were we were high on him as a free agent. Of any time someone signs, they uh, they move up. Uh, I think I was just shocked. I actually am shocked he he's this high for us. But I think to some degree it was like, oh, he's wide receiver twenty three, and he's like still capable of absolutely annihilating his team's target share, like thirty plus percent. I I'm surprised I, we got I, to this high, but I think yeah. it was maybe Burke's injury related that we ended up this high. Oh, um, uh, that's probably part of it. And I'll, too, pull, yeah. I'll pull up the rankings here, just because now we're kind of past the point of 
where people probably remember. Um, yeah, I sorry, I probably should have these up before, but um, one of these are the final rankings that Will Levis was going to throw four touchdowns in his first career game. So that definitely, yeah, someone said that in this group. I don't know who it was. Some of us, said, <laughs> yeah, we all like, thought that. We all thought that. Um, no, uh, I actually do have a big old bag of Will Levis in the big board superflex. So I also have a big bag of Will Levis. <laughs> I got made fun of like real hard on Twitter for it too. Um, which you know, fair. You know, he was. I, I drafted him before. I thought he was going to dra- get drafted in the second round. Um, anyway, DeAndre Hopkins. I think we did a good job there of pricing in some of the high end free agency outcomes that didn't come to fruition. But clearly, the market was not pricing in enough because then he goes to Tennessee and he's still hitting. And this is one of those guys who I would say older. The talent-based argument, I thought, remained pretty strong. He had a good year with the Cardinals in 2022. Obviously, he's been a star throughout his career. Did not appear to be really falling off. Um, so, yeah, that one, one I feel pretty good about. DJ Moore was interesting. We ended up behind ADP in the final rankings. Uh, we were ahead of ADP early in the summer. Kind of had him close to the, the early fourth round, late third round, kind of when he was we were close to his original ADP and his ADP took a big hit and we were, I think about even with ADP. Um, we were a bit in, ahead actually. bit ahead. Okay, good. In the late fourth, I wrote also wrote an article on legendary upside specifically calling out how you could take more push to help push fields around the turn and then grab fields. And that you could actually get that stack more often then it seems if you took more first, who I believe had the higher or had the lower ADP at the time, but the way that kind of, or they had similar, it was very similar, but yeah, with real tactic ahead, having Mahomes, Hertz, and Allen, you could use the like and Burrow sometimes too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I think my hope is that people have DJ Moore, although he's been such a volatile player that maybe now you're sad you have DJ Moore. Um, but for a minute there, he looked like the league winner from this range. So you're happy you have um, him in the fourth, less happy at the three, four turn. Easy. Game. I think that's right. Yeah. Mixon, we were real low on Mixon throughout. Um, that one's, is that going to hurt? How bad is that going to hurt? Is it going to hurt? He hasn't done like anything this year. I do think it's been like the Tony Pollard thing. Where, all like, the work. I, yeah, I know. I see Tony Pollard. And I'm like, this guy should have been a smash. He's getting all the work. And I see Joe Mixon. I'm like, of course he's underperforming. He sucks. But, uh, <laughs> uh, it could it could hurt in the long run. It has not hurt yet, but it could hurt in the long run. I Yeah, we probably could have used to be higher on like the very. Oh, I lost guy. I'll pick that up for Kyle. We could have been higher on someone where the volume and the clear market impact was going that way. He was going about pick 45 to 50 by ADP initially. And I remember when we signed, I said, just based on other comparable players like Madison, they see a 20% increase in their ADP. I think he ends up like the 38 to 40 range. He closes at 37. But also, if you told me Joe Mixon at ADP 37, are you taking that? I said, never. So <laughs> I'm pretty happy with how we played Mixon. And although the volume is there, the volume might not always be there. There's a dynamic game. There's a chance that the Bengals want to try out any of their other running backs. And I wouldn't be shocked if one of them is competent enough to displace Joe Mixon, who is not very good at football. At this yep. point, I'd be shocked if one of these guys is competent enough to displace Joe Mixon. Like they're, 
Like Chase Brown, I think, just got thrown on IR, and he would maybe be the one where you're like, oh, he has a ceiling. Uh, He's a ceiling in the long run because we just don't know what he is. It could be anything. The other guys like true backup special teamers. So I'll say like maybe could have used to, especially at the end, we're eight spots behind ADP. That's maybe like the highest fade we have up until this point of the draft. It's got to be close. Uh, For a guy who his ceiling was getting every single touch on like a top two offense in football, could have used to have been higher, but it would have, I would have never been at ADP. Uh, so yeah. I don't feel bad about having less than the field of him to this degree. Maybe could have reined it in more, but like directionally accurate is kind of what you hope for in the long run for the entire board we throw up here. And if you're accurate over the long run, you know, you win. So ETN, I should also know as we kind of take the, the mix in mini L um, which could honestly be a big L by the end of the year, depending on, cause the bed have already been good. a big L at this point. Like he could be a yeah. guy with nine touchdowns at this point just hasn't gotten there. A hundred percent. ETN, I think not like our biggest win. Cause I think we're a little bit like, we're just like a little ahead on ADP for the most part. There's one of those ones. I remember kind of looking at my portfolio versus the ranks and feeling like I needed to do a better job drafting than we were ranking. Because we had ETN ahead, and then I was looking at myself, and I was like, I'm not drafting that much ETN, and it was because I was in the I was taking, you know, um, Brees Hall, or I was taking Tony Pollard, and I was like feeling like I didn't want to go back to running back in the fourth round, but I made a concerted effort in my own portfolio to get more ETN to close the season, and I think we did a pretty good job of being ahead of ETN. He he did finally rise up. So we have him at 36, and that's even with ADP. But that's not where he was going for most of the offseason. Um, he was kind of helped by the fact that uh, we did see the slides for Brees Hall. Um, and and Ramondre, yeah, he kind of got pushed up a little bit. Uh, but if there was a while where he was almost like not even considered part of that group. Some of our strongest hits in kind of the way we played that, you know, mm-hmm. Kind of classic dead zone, but there was, but it was a, it was an unusual year where the dead zone had a lot of upside in it. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, I'll note we were slightly ahead of ADP on never a big stand for us, but that one um, was helpful. Uh, we had, I think this, on the whole, yeah, we were really high on the 49ers offense. Less so we were very McCaffrey. high. I mean, yeah. I'm sure when I say we weren't high on McCaffrey, it's like we were 0.7 behind ADP. Just that edge matters when it's, you know, I get this pick seven times a year. But we were significantly higher on Debo. He's hurt right now. Hard to exactly evaluate. Higher on Ayuk and higher on Kittle at some, I think, throughout the summer as well. So we had a lot of faith in the 49ers offense, which I feel very good about. Mm-hmm. Another reason we, great we should have thesis of the play as well with the contingent upside of if you're high on all three you're unlikely to have all three healthy on any given week but on the teams where you have one or two and those are the one or two that are getting a meaningful projection increase due to another losing you're getting more likely to hit your ceiling outcomes and we're also high on Brock Purdy throughout we just thought it was clear the elbow injury wasn't going to stop him from starting week one and the market wasn't as confident so I feel good about how he played that passing attack Sam CMC yeah, we were completely out on Trey Lance throughout the entire process and in on Purdy and at times pretty bullish on Purdy. So um, that helped these rankings because it's like, well, what are you saying? Like, because we're saying Brock Purdy's going to be Brock Purdy and, we'll, you know, he'll support the weapons. And it does make me feel like maybe we should have been a little higher on McCaffrey if this was the stance overall. I wish 
someone had said, hey, you guys really love all the 49ers. Why don't you rank yeah, McCaffrey yeah. once better? But, you know. What are you going to do? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, Hawkinson, we, we ended up higher than market on, but we were lower on market on throughout, I think. Um, that's probably one of those ones where now you're happy to not have Hawkinson because Cousins got hurt, but it's – it's sort of a sneaky L, I think, for us that Hawkinson has been really good. And we, although we finished higher, we were lower on throughout. J.K. Dobbins, I think, was one of our best calls of the entire summer. Uh, Daniel was leading the charge there. And, um, yeah, tears his Achilles. Just absolutely brutal. Um, Najee Harris. Let's talk about this one, guys. Oh, all, all summer. Pat, you, get, you can't have Najee Harris this low. Oh, oh yeah? Oh, yeah, we should have had him even lower. I, I was too bullish on Najee Harris. <laughs> I will say, uh, I haven't checked over the past two weeks, way better in all the advanced rushing metrics. Like, that is something that has changed. He I, like he doesn't pass the eye no, test. No, no, he's still bad. He's still bad in all the advanced rushing metrics. Yeah, you uh, either was, Up until about two weeks ago, he had a – he was beating uh, – he was being Jalen Warren in all the rushing metrics. I think Yeah, no, Warren, like, Warren's like – not good in any of the advanced rushing, but he is elite in all the receiving stuff. Yeah. Um, and then when you look at the advanced rushing, Nazi just looks like, like he didn't look terrible, but he's like not good. Yeah. I'll say he doesn't look terrible. Like actually in success rate, he ranks right around like Alvin Kamara and Ken Walker. And he's like negative rush yards over expected. But I do say part of the thesis was he was like Cam Akers, Dalvin cook level of bad and uh, he's not that he's not that bad. I mean, he's bad. Like he is just uh, does nothing uh, type of player. But I'd say like, he's like a below replacement average level player, uh, which is why I'm fine with us having a very significant fade. One of the bigger fades. But I don't I don't want to say like, could we have had him lower? I think we I think we nailed it. Like I'm, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of doing a bit, but I feel pretty good about the mat. I mean, this oh, is probably our biggest yeah. fade. This isn't probably this is our of the early round players. Yeah. Najee Harris was by far, I think, our biggest fade. Um, at no point did we have him anywhere near ADP. We were ranking him aggressively below ADP for the, the debate for us summer. all summer was <laughs> do we tick the little box in our spreadsheet that allows us yeah. to we all of our all of our ADPs, with a few exceptions, all of our players have that anchor we talked about to ADP because we want to respect the market. Uh, I don't know if we ended up doing this or not, but do we check? tick the box that says we don't have to respect the market. We can rank him as bad of a pick as we think he is. I don't remember if we did that or not, but in the end it resulted in us being, like you said, of the top 75, 80 picks. If I had to guess, maybe even closer to hundred, the lowest uh, versus ADP. Yeah. And I think one example that illustrates this is Pat was doing some big dog draft and he texts, is it fine if I take my first Najee share in, on this $250 buy-in team? And I'm like, Oh, how late past ADP, like, at least around but I like the team. And then you said, oh, if you <laughs> like the like team, the you team probably don't want to take Najee. So you don't want to get too over. I don't think I did either. Yeah, I think you took Ken Walker. If I'm, so hopefully that team. There you go, off. boom. But there is some level that you want to have to respect the market because you can look really foolish, have egg on your face. Like, oh, Adam Thielen, 30 picks past AP. How could I take that? I don't want Adam Thielen ever. So there are examples where just a full-out fade will go wrong. But you also have to have some confidence in your abilities. You're playing a game where you're holding money for six to eight months a year. You better hope you can do a few things right if you're going to do that. Yeah, good point. Um, somehow we ended up ahead of market in the final update on, on Alexander Madison, which 
boggles my mind, but um, we were behind on him throughout the entire summer. So I don't know what, what happened there. We, we blew it at the very end, but for most <laughs> of the summer, we, we had you yeah. pointed in the right direction on Madison. Um, this range of perceived, we were very high on Terry McLaurin, which starting to look okay. Yeah. The yeah. toe injury uh, really messed that up. Yeah. The toe injury in general, I think maybe we probably weren't, um, because we, we can talk generally about like the Batemans and the Burks probably here in this range too. We probably, I personally didn't do a good enough job of some of these in training camp injuries that were going to have an impact on the play quality in season that maybe we should have asked for a bigger injury discount on a lot of these players. Cause I think um, Bateman, I wasn't particularly worried about his foot injury. That seems to have maybe been a big deal. Certainly cost him, He's tumbled down the um, the depth chart. Now you could say that's because he's not very good. That could be it. But certainly that he missed all training camp on our new offensive coordinator with a foot injury also can't have helped. Uh, Burks, we had the knee injury. Uh, we got the McLaurin toe. So some of these injuries, I think, probably should have done a better job. Oh, the Jackson Smith and Jacob wrist injury, which you know um, Pete Carroll has talked about having a big impact on his early season playing time um, and just kind of confidence and, and whatnot. I think in general we probably should have been a bit more conscious of those. Yeah. A little more. I'll I'll say I think like it's clear that there are like two branching paths of like JSN coming back, getting a large role, and I think he scored touchdowns in back to back weeks. Like nothing crazy, but we talked about this as like, oh, we we definitely we like we knocked JSN down. We're like, we still think that like these of the play wasn't even that he would be a week one producer. We understand that like they'll play two, they'll play only two wide at some point. Like It'll take some time for him to get on the field. And then we had to bump that timeline back a little bit. But now it appears as though we're winning. I think with Bateman and Burks, the way they had played at previous points in their career, left something to be desired in terms of talent evaluation. And then this put this made the error band, it really just made the downside specifically, so much wider. Like, oh, if we're not 100% correct on the talent evaluation of Burks and Bateman, both of whom I like, like we, we as a group all liked their talent. But if we are not 100% correct on that, they will tumble down the depth chart. I think it's sort of the the one-two combo of, I think Burks is good, but you have to acknowledge the fact that maybe he's just not that good. And then if he's not that good and they can start playing him in a part-time role because of the injury, that's really where the combo ends up hurting you. So I think both it's the injury, but also maybe could have been more humble in uh, sort of questioning their talent. But at the end of the day, like, I think we have more this guy is talented or this guy is not talented and we rank him accordingly and hits. So, you know, these two guys are trying to pick what we did wrong, but on mass, we generally gauge talent, I think better than the market. I will say though, like, you know, Burks wasn't like anything special his rookie year. And then Bateman had like four good games last year, if I remember correctly, after being bad as rookie year as well. So the, the downside was very easy to be realized for them. Yeah. yeah. Although I, I the, the Burks one, I still feel like is more injury than not. Um, Could be, yeah. I, I think his his rookie season was actually pretty solid, but um, it anyway, was obviously wasn't great. But yeah, yeah. Just to add on, I think that's a feature, not necessarily a bug, of using talent as the most important factor. You're gonna get mm-hmm. some wrong, and when you sure. look at just the For ones sure. we got wrong, Rashad Bateman, probably Traylon Burks, Greg Dulcich. It's like I think you should leave Hot Dog Meme who's the guy that's doing this but that's part of it you're the guy doing this you're trying to identify who you think the players that you're more confident in their skill and letting the rest of the chips fall where they may 
but there is the input input volatility on their scale. Like we thought Rashad Bateman was good. Maybe we shouldn't have been that confident that Rashad Bateman would be the beneficiary of our Baltimore general bull stance. Maybe we shouldn't have like, oh, how confident are we on Bateman versus? Well, I think we did okay. I think we did okay there, to be honest, on Bateman. Do you have too much Bateman if you use these ranks? Yeah. Yep. I have but, too much Bateman. Yeah. But do you have a fade stance on Zay Flowers? You don't. You don't. We did. I think we did a pretty decent job of keeping Flowers. Maybe we weren't high enough on him early, but at the end, we kind of we get getting Flowers up. It's kind of one of those like pivot points where like now we need to have Flowers in a decent range here. Um, obviously, we're very high on Andrews. We're high on Jackson. And so, like, the overall Baltimore bullishness, I think you feel pretty good about. And there were ways that we played it that weren't just Bateman. And I think the fade on Odell actually feels still pretty good. Um, You know, maybe maybe it's like, you'd rather that fade was just on Bateman, sure. But (laughs) it it was, that was like one of those ones where I don't think we closed our eyes and just said, you you can only play it through Bateman. And then similarly, I think with Burks, I mean, we were higher um, than the market on Hopkins really throughout and didn't, there was like a period where I thought the Tennessee, Tennessee thing was bad, but pretty quickly we ended up pretty even or even ahead on Hopkins in Tennessee. So um, I think we even t- we ranked Tannehill at the very end, um, although we didn't really have Tannehill in the rankings uh, all that high at any point. But anyway, we weren't like, out on these two wide receivers. So I don't know. I don't think we had blinders on in terms of like, this is the only way that you can play it on these teams. Certainly these two players, we had way higher than you would want to be taking them if you were redrafting today. All right. I'm scrolling down the ranks. Two guys, totally different conversations, but I see them next to each other. Alvin Kamara was suspended. I remember three games that came in a little lighter than we all sort of thought. I think it came in lighter than everyone thought. No one was really projecting him for that, I think it, the range was like four, kind of felt like the floor it was like four to six. Not the end of the world, though. Like, I don't, you know, it's it's one or two games that we are missing out on is the usage that we were. I think everyone was underweight on, but especially us, because we were light on Alvin Kamara all summer. How do we feel about that now? Bad. Bad. Yeah, yeah. Bad. that's that's probably one of the biggest misses um, and, pro- and a process miss, I think, like because yeah. Kamara. He didn't look like completely done to me the way some of these other guys look. He looked like he was, he looked like he was mixing. I would say like, he was like not great anymore, but not mixing probably never really was great, but, but not Camaro wasn't what he was, but he wasn't like totally washed. He wasn't like Dalvin cook, cam makers, right. Najee Harris heading into the year. Like these guys look yeah. like they should be strict. They brought nothing Whereas- to the table. Yeah, Yeah, Joe Mixon and Alvin Kamara look good enough to hold off actual backups. And their teams obviously have indicated that they want them to do that in their usage in previous seasons where we see Joe Mixon have the crazy touchdown game and get all the goal line work and still get early down passing work. And obviously Alvin Kamara, one of the most like high leverage usage players in the NFL for pretty much his whole career. So yeah, probably could have used to sort of acknowledge that upside more. I still think the floor was he takes another step downwards. He's been taking steps downward in efficiency for a few years. Still think that floor was there, but probably could have priced in the ceiling of this guy gets 25 touches, eight of which are catches a game. Yeah, right. The other one was Taylor. Yeah. The other one was Taylor that I had on my list. Taylor, guys. Who at the very end, we were like, I don't think, he, I don't know what's going on here. Cause we were kind of shook 
we were truly shook on Jonathan Taylor because we we had him up here the whole summer. Um, well, okay, I should say we had him all the way in the second round. I mean, we probably we had him above Barkley. We had him kind of in this range. Uh, we had him above Chubb early on, um, and then we brought him down into like the third rounds. But I was taking a lot of him in kind of this. Debo area or ahead ahead of Metcalf kind of area. Um a lot of him in that range when there was kind of the a lot of him. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then once he got put on pup and it was like, oh God, is this guy not gonna play this season? Is he gonna, you know, play like two games to get in a crude year? And then it's just like, man, this was this is pretty rough. Um, so you probably don't have in those like that four day period much of Jonathan Taylor at his cheapest uh, apologies for that. But I don't know. I'm, that was just one where we, we didn't get it right. We didn't get, we didn't read the tea leaves on what was going on with Jim Irsay and this cult situation. I think the probably thing we screwed up the most is that we thought that he could actually get traded when they weren't going to trade him. They were they were asking for Jalen Waddle and stuff. They like they were like someone send us a. In retrospect, they were like, "Sure, JT, we'll trade you. Let's <laughs> see if anyone will give us like three dollars on the dollar." And oh no, no one will. Sucks to be you. You're on pub now. And uh, I think we kind of like treated it as, "Oh shit, maybe he goes to the the Dolphins. That would be awesome." Yeah. I think so I guess are you win. still saying that you you don't think he was ever injured like at any point like that early pup was nothing to do with the injury except something we talked about but we we're like it seems unlikely this seems no no i think he was i think he probably because he didn't even come back like he must have been dealing with that ankle injury for real yeah it's still I never it's still real. never healed uh yeah yeah that's i mean that's why that's sort of why i brought it up so that, that was obviously my interpretation of it eventually at the end it was never our interpretation early because i remember at some point saying like so do we think there's zero chance he's actually like meaningfully hurt and i was like i think there might be but even like when I talk to you guys, like, yeah, you're probably right. This all seems to be maneuvering from both sides. And I think that's maybe the second thing we mispriced is just like not giving any credence to the fact that this guy could not practice after getting like off-season ankle surgery, ankle injury last year. And like the error bands around our understanding of his injury were extremely high. I don't think we yeah. acknowledge that. We sort of put it all on Ursay. And then we also sort of tried to at least give him some credence as a rational actor. So I think it was like two big missteps uh, in those two regards that just broke our model, our mental models for JT. Yeah, a rare double whammy where we got wrong his injury. And then I remember we thought, oh, if he doesn't get traded, he'll just like be on the culture roster, maybe on a touch limit as they get him up. But he's playing week one. It's just about where. Then they put him on pop and that absolutely blew our minds. We did not see that in the range of outcomes when we absolutely should have. Right. Yeah. Well, speaking of cults, how do you guys feel about Anthony Richardson, who we were aggressive Dude, on? We throw? killed that pick. You got to be, oh <laughs> man. I I remember talking with Patrick Darty, Roto Pat, and he's like, oh, well, he has to be like, he has to be the most productive uh, rookie quarterback. So you really think he's going to get to like 800 yards? I think that's the record for like rushing for a quarterback in their rookie season. It's like 800 yards. I was like, yeah, I'm like median projecting him for just shy of a thousand yards. Like that's where I'm at. We were right about that. I mean, yeah. come on. I, I, if you want to say like, 
No, I'm not even going to leave Ben Creedence like, oh, he's going to be more injury prone because he runs. Nope, nope. You, the fish really got away with one on him getting hurt. That's all I'll have to say. Yeah. I showed my bank my Anthony Richardson and J.K. Dobbins exposure and asked for <laughs> money back. And they said that's not how this works. But yeah, it's not. The, Unfortunately, the it's not. The ED we got was so sweet. The process was absolutely perfect on Richardson. And he could have been QB1 if he played the whole year, probably looking at top three season. 100%. Vintage Cam Newton. Yeah. Well, well, guess what, guys? We'll have a chance to be above market again because he's, in, he's injury prone now. I hate to tell you. He's yeah. injury prone. So you're going to, that the same, everyone who was out on Anthony Richardson is going to be out again because he got hurt running, which means he's going to get hurt running again. And anyone who was in thinks they were literally about to go to the bank with and get real money out. Um, <laughs> so we're all uh, going to be back in our corners for 2024 on this one. I'm telling you. I see one on the screen. Kadarius Tony. Uh, I think we shouldn't have even put this guy up at the end because we were like way, way, way behind the very, uh, like at the very. I feel onset. good about this one. I, I think I, I think we played Kadarius Tony well. All right, yeah, you guys tell me why I'm wrong, but okay, we were. He sucks. Well, <laughs> yeah, he definitely. Football. Well, that's true, but here's here's the way we played Kadarius Tony, and I was like on I was on um with with Eric Bimefor on um uh, on our pod. We were we uh, legendary sickos. We were like talking about Kadarius Tony earlier in the summer. And I was like, he's just a straight up bad pick. Like that's like, I'm going to be honest. He's just a bad pick when he was going in the six, seven turn. Like I was like, I had conviction that he was a bad pick there, but he fell all the way into the, almost out of the top 100 picks. And at that point we were talking about like a one to two week absence and maybe not even an absence at all. I don't think he ended up missing any time. Right. And so I was like, okay, now maybe this falls under the, like the those early those um, training camp injuries kind of affect things more than we realize, even if it's not just the health. But and in this case, probably not. I think Kadarius Tony just sucks. But I do feel like there was theoretical upside with this. Like the the Chiefs wide receiver core is terrible. Sky Moore is who. By the way, you you may not know this if you just watch ship chasing but we didn't actually chase sky more up in these rankings we had we were pretty originally we were um we had ray uh rasheed rice ahead we flipped that because the market had that flipped we went up with sky more a little bit but then once sky more jumped up we didn't chase we are 5.2 picks below adp as of the final uh run yeah which is say like yeah. you could get him but it would it'd be rare. He'd have to fall significantly below ADP. Because not only is it to fall 5.2 picks below ADP, then he also has to beat other people who we like ahead of ADP right. that would have been behind him. So you weren't getting a lot of him. I feel good about that. I think the the big thing is, yeah, I, I get that. Like, Canarius Tony fell a lot. Actually being three picks ahead of ADP maybe isn't that bad. Because this was, as you pointed out, the, the stance for 90% of the summer. The opportunity ADP cost is so much lower. The yeah. opportunity cost here was, I mean, now there were guys, there were big hits in this range. But, you know. I don't, I don't process wise when you're taking a volatile player who was expensive earlier is getting discounted because of like a minor injury and still has all the same late season upside that he did have and is a very good athlete and can earn targets, even though they're mostly just screens. They're an earn is a strong word. Earn is a strong word. Yeah. (laughs) But, But I don't know. I mean, like, I like that if you drafted off these ranks, 
yeah, you yeah. probably are close to even on Tony, but it's all the cheap Tony. And so from a process standpoint, that's nice. Do you wish you just, we just took like a mega fade on Tony? Yeah. I mean, you, you wish I just did that so you didn't have Tony, but yeah, it, I think process wise, it's one of those misses I'm okay with. I yeah, agree. it's not terrible. I, I, I'm poking fun. This one's not terrible. We have yeah. worse process misses. Kyle, uh, Kyle and I uh, jokingly hate Kadir Sony. Maybe not jokingly. Maybe there's some vendetta there. But if you were given a blindfold and said you could have 0% of a player at their top 75 ADP and get close to even on them 25 picks later on an injury that seems like it should not be too prohibitive, you probably take that. If you open the curtains and see it's Kadarius Tony, you might be a little upset at that decision. Yeah. <laughs> But <laughs> and I, I looked at this. Uh, you're probably right about that. It's like you almost all the time. If if we don't think the injury is that bad, which it didn't seem terrible, you would just want to be able to basically get in, get close to even. If you had just Cleve on every single player, you got the best price in every single player. That might beat the rake alone, depending on how well you nail it. So uh, yeah, that's fair. Like with proper, just like stacking and roster construction, that might be all you need essentially. So uh, yeah, it's probably fine. And I will say. As Pat pointed out, we did not buy the hype on Sky more to a degree. We moved him up, uh, but we ended up falling behind on market. We ended up being way, way big on Rasheed Rice at the end. I think just acknowledging that the Kadarius Tony is bad and banged up, even if there's still upside there, it leaves a lot of meat on the bone for another player. And if we don't want to be on in on Sky more because he's bad, got to be on someone. And we're 14 picks ahead of ADP on Rasheed Rice. 14 picks back in his range of like 150 in the draft isn't as much as like seven earlier. But it meant that if you were looking for guys who were undervalued in his range, you were getting a lot of him. And that is proving to be super duper right. He's really good. Yeah. Yeah. That that one looks pretty good. Um, we were Especially high on it. feels a... good about us because, uh, Pat, you didn't really care for him as a prospect, did you? I did not. No, I, no, no. I didn't think it was very wasn't, good prospect. It wasn't dreadful, but I had no real desire in him. But, like, for us to see that, like, prospecting is hard, he could be good, and he plays with the Chiefs. Uh, and and see that last year not get burned or get burned by Sky Moore, but then go right back to the well, back to the you know hand that feed that bit you or whatever, and then be right. Uh, it feels very good about the process to not sort of miss the signal through what it was a noisy Kadarius Tony rookie or uh, Sky Moore rookie season. Yeah, and I think that in general this group was well priced. Like Mingo, I still think was kind of well priced, although you know obviously we need to get to Thielen um, at some point. Uh, who was one of our bigger misses, but Rice, Mingo, and Marvin Mims, you know, second round picks, so you could get extremely affordably. We were kind of that that archetype we were overweight on. And I think that was a good archetype to be overweight on. And I, I do I agree. I think we did a good job of kind of throwing out our biases a little bit or like, because one of the things that I think is important to to keep in mind, like if you are someone who plays a lot of Dynasty or you know, watch a lot of college football um, has strong opinions on who these players are going to be that like whether or not Rasheed Rice is ultimately a really good NFL wide receiver starts to become like less relevant the further he goes down in best ball ADP because like we see players have like flashes of relevance all the time. You know, like you see guys and especially like early on in their careers because and the team wants to know hey, what what has this guy got, you know? And they start to play more as the season goes on, and they probably are going to see the peak usage towards the end of the season. And so even dudes like Tyquan Thornton, who's like a stone-cold bust, right, was in my lineup last year and, like, made my final lineup last year. So, like, that happens. So I think generally you want to be um, 
you want to be kind of interested in these rookies. You want to be open-minded on these rookies that have draft yeah. capital. Yeah, um, I will say, and I maybe remember, even that don't have draft capital, as we'll get to with Puka Nakua. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I remember, I remember where, okay, remember where I was when we were talking about Marvin Mims. We all like Marvin Mims a lot. Like he extremely efficient and productive at a really early age in college, and then earns the draft capital that we thought was commensurate with that, which maybe not every draft Nick saw. So we feel very good about that. I do remember where I was specifically when I was like, guys, I just want to pump the brakes. Like we're locking him into the wide receiver three role. We've seen Sean Payton dedicate a ton of offseason roster spots to all these losers he used to have coached. And you guys are like, yeah, what are they yeah, going to do, yeah. play little Jordan Humphrey over him? And I was like, guys, yep. I don't know which loser it's going to be. I think it was Marcus Callaway when I said it. But <laughs> but it could get there. And I will say, actually, uh, as you scroll to ADP, we ended up two picks ahead of him. As in, once the hype completely went off the rails, we were like, yes, we still like him. But let's let the market come to us. Let's not get too far out. Yeah, we didn't get too nuts. Yeah, let's not victory lap by moving him up to keep beating, you know, quote beating ADP in the sense of keep staying ahead of ADP. So I will say, good job on us for that. And wide receiver because we were behind. Yeah, this this doesn't really reflect it, but we were way behind. We were way ahead of him. We were way ahead of him up until he was cheap. He was really the second week of preseason or whatever it was, third week maybe. Yeah, and then when we're trying to. assess players based on talent with rookies it's all a distribution we don't have that much confidence in how good they're going to be so if the market says we think this is a 20th percentile you then have the ability to bet on something that's far more uncertain than the certain price is baking in and you're in a game playing for tail outcomes already so you want to be betting on rookies who as they all are far more uncertain talents all have a better shot of being good like what were the odds that Marvin Mims was more impactful than Alan Lazard, even as Mims drove up cost. Yeah. Good enough to want you to take Marvin Mims over Alan Lazard, which was really what the cost was. Rasheed Rice versus, I don't know, who's going near Rasheed Rice? Zay Jones? <laughs> or Michael Gallup? Van Michael Jefferson. Gallup, yeah. Van Jefferson, yeah. Pretty happy if you have Rasheed Rice over those guys. Although we guess we were we ended up bullish on Gallup. But um, Nico was interesting. Nico, we ended up behind on, but we started extremely head on. So he's like a reverse Tony, where you got probably a lot of the cheap Nico, but we were we were overly um, worried about him. I will say, Nick, is that right? Nico at wide receiver fifty nine. I get like obviously the hindsight bias, but like I, I guess maybe that's one spot we could talk about was we, and I think we reeled this back as the summer went on, but we as a cohort were much more interested in the Bryce Young Panthers than the CJ Stroud Texans. We just saw the the Panthers well, being a better I mean we had we had Young ranked ahead of uh we did we had Young ranked ahead of Stroud but we had Stroud ahead of ADP I think yeah we were willing to bet on the young pieces on both yeah, we had Stroud way ahead of ADP costs. So we, we also initially... we we drafted Robert Woods like he was a thing which he kind of is uh we did have Nico Collins ahead early we drafted Tank Dell. Dell is one of our late season or our late round, although we ended up behind, I guess. But we we you know, had way him behind because of the preseason because of the preseason hype. We had. Uh, but we had him the, ranked yeah. draftable all off season. It's funny how some of these hype guys end up. But we, I tell, I'm telling you, we were high on Dell. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, I we were, remember. We were, early, we were early on Dell. I guess is what the what better way to put it. Yeah, and then, and then he got away from us. Yeah, and with the Panthers, we probably we were certain that there was uncertainty there. So we wanted to take Mingo, who was probably the least certain asset. But hindsight, wish I had more than the lowest possible amount in zero, Adam Thielen. Yeah, let's talk Thielen. And let's talk, 
I well, okay. Wait, before we get to Thielen, I do want to ask. So we talked about the range of outcomes thing, Daniel. That's a good point on rookies. Do you feel like we were overconfident in JSN because, like, he's maybe not that good, and we we and market said he was really good. So that's kind of the thing. Like, we got we bet with the market. We went into the market and said, "You're right, market. He's great. Let's draft." Him. I didn't have that much JSN. I think pre-draft I was underweight because I grind the NFL draft a lot. I thought there was no chance he was going in the top twelve, top fifteen. I had him bet to Seattle 29 to one. So I was pretty confident in the type of player the NFL thought he was, but he had decent athleticism and he was in an offense we wanted to bet on. I think he's a fine pick in the fifth. And then when he fell to the sixth round, and I think later in the season, weeks 15 to 17, you'll look back. I'm pretty happy. I have this player on rosters contending for hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you have him, but maybe you don't want to be too overweight. Like I think the ideal JSN position would be 12, 13%. Whereas if you use the ranks, you're probably 15, 16. Yeah, the guys going immediately behind JSN, or I think we have immediately ranked behind JSN, are Jordan Addison. Sure, you take Addison over him. We have them right next to each other. Then it's Zay Flowers. Probably want Zay Flowers over him. Definitely want Although, you know, we talk about like... Yeah, you want Zay Flowers over him. They're really just scheming that guy up targets. Ideally, maybe throw him downfield more, but scheming a guy targets is better than uh, JSN not even getting that many targets. It's, yeah, it's trending better. in the right direction, though. It's definitely, it's uh, definitely better. It's better. Uh, but it's trending in the right direction, though. We, I strongly you know, prefer it, actually. Yeah, yeah. But then after that, the next receivers we have are Quentin Johnson, Brandon Cooks, Elijah Moore, Sky Moore, Rashad Bateman, Quentin Sutton, kind of a big, a good hit. Traylon Burks, like we moved him well ahead of a tier of guys who were just like wide receiver twos on their own teams that we don't care about. And there was this, what could be in the box with JSN? Like the alternative was to rank him near these other guys we had no interest in or pump up running backs to fill that gap. When the running backs were like in this group, I see Cam Akers, Rashad White, Dave Montgomery may be a big miss on us. Uh, DeAndre Swift. Yeah, Montgomery's probably okay. We had Swift ahead of ADP and Pacheco ahead of ADP. So we would have had to get so far ahead of ADP on we, those we guys. We weren't that, like, crazy low on Montgomery, but we it was one of those ranges that his ADP was a little tight and we were always behind. So you're probably you're probably cursing us on Montgomery a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So like this group right here, I still, even as JSN's run out has been like okay over the past two weeks and quite poor up until then, I still feel good about like taking him as a shot ahead of those guys outside of like maybe David Montgomery, maybe DeAndre Swift, but honestly, like I don't feel terrible about having Montgomery a bit behind ADP and, you know, DeAndre Swift a little bit ahead, but it's not like I was going to flip him over JSN. So I'm fine with what we did with JSN. Like Maybe we could have been marginally less bullish, but the range of guys we had ranked behind him, looking back at them, eh, I don't feel bad about having those guys behind him for the most part. Like, sure, I'd love to have David Montgomery right now, but yeah. All right, let's talk Thielen because Thielen is one of the biggest misses that we have in the rankings. Um, but in some ways, I think Thielen is sort of like the tax that you pay when you're yeah. when you're low on Van Jefferson and Alan Lazard and Juju Smith-Schuster um, and Dalvin Cook and all these dust balls that we were correctly identifying as dust balls. MBS. MVS, yeah, there were lots of these guys that we were that we were out on. Um, Alexander Madison, Cam Akers, right? These players who we just didn't think had the talent um, 
Although, I'm, guys, next time we have a stance on a guy like Alexander Madison, can't be ahead in the final in the final thing that makes us look bad. Um, but we, you know, we I think did a really really good job on being low on players that the market was boosting up because of kind of like projections, right? Opportunity bait, purely opportunity. The targets have to go somewhere, and I don't feel comfortable making the I don't know bucket as big as it ultimately ended up being. And we didn't get this right on feel and we played it for Mingo, which in in some ways I think compounds the problem because now you've got like a lot of Mingo is not hitting and no Thielen. My feeling on Thielen was that he's basically like someone that I would be comfortable taking if he was going kind of, and I have like, it's funny. I have like a, one of the final drafts I did, I took Thielen because he, he did fall into like the 16th round and I was like, okay, yes, this is what I. This is where he should be going. So I, I did draft him, he's and Robert I felt Woods. like he's Robert Woods. I felt like basically, okay, yeah, sure. If you if you treat him like Robert Woods, and make me pay a little bit of a premium over Robert Woods, I'll take that. But he's not Robert Woods. He's having a great great season. He's also like full on, like having a talent resurgence. Like I was blown away. The open score numbers are like awesome on him. Like he he looks like. It's not just that he's getting fed targets. It's that he's like legitimately Adam Thielen still. And we made a big bet that he was no longer Adam Thielen. Um, And that, yeah, he's wide receiver 19. And I don't think this is updated to reflect week eight, but he's wide receiver 19, um, wide receiver and tight end 19 in ESPN's open score behind Stefan Diggs, ahead of Marquise Brown, ahead of Mark Andrews. So, uh, what happened? Yeah, I'll, I'll <laughs> is he good again? Why is he good now? I'll say a few things on why he is good. Now, do I think we were, like you said. Also, the Panthers' we, offense sucks. We don't yeah. want to even be invested <laughs> in the Panthers' offense. Like The only way we lose is if Adam Thielen is amazing. If you told me, okay, the only way you lose is better. Adam, Adam Thielen is like vintage, like four years ago, Adam Thielen. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, we have him too high. Yeah, I'll say to the people who drafted Thielen, uh, like one, I think generally you pay the tax. You kind of just pay the tax for us. Uh, but we could have been. Well, maybe granular. not. I, mean, I would love to show me your portfolio, but you also can't have Alan Lazard or Juju Smith-Schuster. That's yeah, yeah. how did you spot this outlier? I think there was maybe one way to spot this outlier in that a few years ago, they get Justin Jefferson and they start playing Adam Thielen much more outside. He'd been like primarily a 50, 50 plus slot receiver. He'd been just over 50% slot in his uh, best two seasons, the NFL. Then they start moving to the outside more. Then they get Justin Jefferson. They move him to the outside more. And also having Justin Jefferson means your targets per route run is yeah, going to yeah. plummet because it's Justin yeah. Jefferson. So they move yes. him to a role, which is not his like ideal role far from it. And they get a guy who should earn way more targets than him. And last year, they also had TJ Hawkinson who should earn more targets than him. And of course, his numbers absolutely drop. He had not been Adam Thielen. It's correct to say he had not been Adam Thielen in like legitimately four years. And he's like 33 years old. So I think that's, if you're not Adam Thielen for four years and you're 33, I don't think you're going to be Adam Thielen again. But then he goes to a team which has no talent that can dictate how they use other players. Like Jonathan Mingo is just not good enough to say, we got to focus in on him as targets. I didn't like him as a prospect, but I also hated Adam Thielen. So I wanted to take Jonathan Mingo because I acknowledge that even if I don't like the guy as a prospect, maybe he's still good. But 
there was a range in which DJ Chark is a do nothing boundary receiver. Uh, like he's mostly been throughout his career, except for a few points a long time ago. And Jonathan Mingo is a guy who only looks good as a prospect when you realize he put up like 400 yards against two of the worst defenses you'll ever play in college football. Otherwise he's like a nothing burger as a prospect. And then Adam Thielen at some point has been good. And now they have the, the Panthers have the freedom to use him, maximize his skill set. Their focus as an offense doesn't have to be Justin Jefferson. It gets to be Adam Thielen, which is to say he's playing a ton in the slot. He's earning a ton of like he's I don't open. buy this case, and it's happened. Yeah. This case yeah, is I ludicrous. Mean, yeah, no, I, I I don't buy the case either. I'm just telling you what happened is essentially <laughs> he went from being an ancillary piece of an offense that didn't have any respect for him. <laughs> Uh, and now he gets to be the focal point on offense in which they specifically are using him in the way he has been successful in, in the past. I didn't think this was very likely at all. I think he's one of the few players I quite literally drafted zero times across probably something like 200 or 150, 200 drafts, something like that. Uh, yeah, I think I drafted zero of him because I thought this case was incredibly unlikely. Yeah, but across, I, yeah. I, Across the tax, 500 for the most plus drafts, I think he's the only player I drafted zero times. The biggest position in my season-long portfolio, under 700 receiving yards. They closed at 550. I'll win <laughs> one day. But, I mean, I think there's the bet you want to make every time. The tax you pay is a great example. And I think there maybe was something to the idea that the odds that he's the best player in a sea of terrible players is there. But I also don't think you want to be betting in seas of terrible players. Like, you're fine missing the forest if you know the tree, or you're fine missing a tree if you know it's a bad forest. So I think when you're looking at bad groups of players, you're fine acknowledging one in every 50, one in every 20 will have these, I don't want to say legendary upside type seasons, refer to Adam Thielen's 2023, but you can have this massive outlier in the best way. Yeah, no, and I think Adam Thielen's season is already massive for best ball portfolios because he's going to help you advance teams already like just hitting on a pick yep. like that level is already huge and then um if he i mean god if he does anything in the in that in the fantasy playoffs i actually have to run so maybe we should do um a second part at some point where we go through the late rounds because we got to talk puka nakua who was a miss for us we got to talk kyron williams who was a hit but we could have been a little more aggressive could have been a little more aggressive i think um, lots of lots of good fun stuff in the the late rounds to go through, but guys, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Daniel, Kyle, tell the people what you got going on in this in the NFL season. Yeah, I'm tweeting Danny triple underscore dimes. Words are on the 33rd team, or if I post to my Substack, which is free to join. Not much else going on. What's Danny's your Substack? Follow. I have it pinned in my Twitter, but I okay. barely right there. Yeah, follow him on Twitter. He's a good follow. Uh, yeah, just follow me on Twitter. I post all my stuff there at Kyle Tweets here. Um, waiver wire column, 32 stats from every game, unless there's less than them, but I don't change the title because I'm lazy. And start sits, plus check out Rotor World Football Show. We did the JSN thing. Pat, I'll have you know, I really went went out, stuck my neck out for JSN after uh, he crushed with like 18 fantasy points in his ninth game. So I, I still hold the faith. All right, all right. Hey, and he scored a touchdown, okay? Okay. Yeah, everyone. he scored another one. Yeah. I mean, I you know, of course, Jake Bobo really played the DK Metcalf role. That, that hurts, but... <laughs> so bad. So bad. All right, check out the walkthrough. Check out Legendary Upside. We will be back. We'll do a, a part two on this. Uh, I should have known that was going to be necessarily all along. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but we, we'll talk through the late rounds at some point soon. Talk to you guys then. Bye.